This past week has been a real uh, celebratory week for me. Tons of stuff going on. On Monday, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary, 14 years. Hold your applause. So we got to have a great time. We got grandma taking care of the kids. We got to go out for the night, uh, make it special as you do on an anniversary, do the dinner, the whole deal. It was great. We continued. We had more to celebrate. Our daughter graduated from preschool. I didn't know that preschool had a graduation until last week, but they do. And she's four years old. They got the gown on, the the cap with the square thing on the top. Um, They had a whole thing, sang a song. There was pizza. Uh, Everybody was thrilled. We had a great time. Our son finished grade one. And so you have to celebrate that the last day of school. So there was ice cream. We went out as a family, did the whole thing. Of course, we come to the weekend and it's Canada Day. I'm sure a bunch of you uh, had some kind of plans this weekend or maybe even still tonight, tomorrow. Um, but but a, maybe a barbecue. We had a barbecue yesterday, had some friends over, just had a really good time. Um, just one of those weeks where I look back yesterday and I thought, that's a lot of celebration. That's a lot of things to be excited about. But I, it wasn't even me that had the most exciting week this week. Last week, if you were here, you heard from Zach, who was up here. He's our ministry director. Uh, and him and his wife were expecting a baby. Well, they are expecting no more. Because we can all celebrate today that their daughter, Juniper Tove Boot, was born on Thursday morning, seven pounds, seven ounces, 20 inches tall. Isn't that amazing? Everybody's healthy and doing well. They're not here today. Some people have an excuse for everything. But uh, that's something fun for us to celebrate together as a community. Uh, New life, how amazing is that? That's a day that they're never going to forget, right? Uh, June 29th, I believe it was. So now every year on June 29th, they are going to celebrate a birthday because celebrating is very important. And there are certain things in life that you must celebrate. Some of you have learned this the hard way. You don't forget an anniversary, You remember that every year on the same day if you're married. And why? Because it's not just another day. You say, why? We've done this every year. It's just another day. It's not another day. It's because there was that moment when you looked at each other and you stood up here or somewhere like this and you said, I do to each other and it changed your whole life. And you recognized that that you were meant to be together and that you were going to build a life together. And then you look back every year and you're thankful for that and your relationship and you don't want to miss it. It's so important that you do it. You don't forget a birthday of somebody that you love. Why? Not because it's just another day on the calendar, but because you care about that person. It's not just how old they're getting. It's that you appreciate them. You love them. You're glad that you're in their life and vice versa. And you want to make sure that you express that to them and the joy of your relationship. And so you don't forget some of those big dates. You celebrate them. You celebrate graduations. You, You celebrate anniversaries. You celebrate birthdays. You celebrate Canada Day because you don't want to forget Our word in English to celebrate comes from a Latin word. It's the same root word that we get our word celebrity from. So think about this for a second. A celebrity, somebody who's famous, somebody that we don't forget. To celebrate, it's a very similar idea, same word it comes from. It means to make famous or to acknowledge or to often repeat. So that's how you make somebody a celebrity. You think about them all the time. You talk about them all the time. You keep them in the forefront of your, your acknowledgement, and then we don't forget them. You listen to their music, you watch their movies, whatever it is. Well, there are also moments in our lives that we need to celebrate, moments that we need to make famous, moments that we must never forget because they are important, because they are life-changing, because they give us joy and they give us strength. I couldn't help but sit here this morning, stand here and sing along 
And we were singing these songs, and how many of them we were singing about people who had overcome giants, people who had been freed from slavery, people who had walked through a sea that had been parted, miracles that were being made for people. Why do we sing these songs? Why do we? You go, oh, that wasn't me. Like, uh, but it is because we all have our own giants that we're facing in life. Because sometimes we feel like we're in bondage to certain things and we need to be freed. Because sometimes we think, I need a miracle. And we sing these songs because we belong in part of their story, part of these people's story. And we look back at what God has done for them and in them, what God has done in history. And we make those moments famous because they remind us that when we are facing our giant and when we are wandering in the desert, when we are needy, when we are hoping that God would show up, that God is faithful and that God is strong and that God is with us. There are moments we must make famous. So today we come together and I want us to celebrate I want us to make some things famous. Actually, through the month of July in this sermon series, I want us to make some things famous, some things about God that we must never forget. We must keep coming back to repeating it, putting it before our eyes over and over, acknowledging it often so that we don't forget. Because it's easy to forget. And it's easy to lose our joy. And it's easy to get tired. And it's easy to feel like we're alone. But today we will celebrate and make famous the fact that we are not. Now, every good party that I know of, every good celebration has food. Just think about it for a second. If you went to a Canada Day barbecue this weekend, and you got there, and maybe there were some games to do, some fun, some music, whatever, but if time went on, and nobody offered you any food, dinner time came and went, what would happen in that party? I know you were all kind and respectable people, I know you would probably just quietly, maybe you would leave afterwards and go, hey, did you find it strange they invited us to a barbecue, but then there was no actual barbecue, there was no food. Wasn't that weird? But for most of us, what would also be happening is we would be getting hangry. We would be getting irritated and upset and annoyed. And somewhere inside of us, we would start to be thinking, what's wrong with this party? Like, did, you know, Justine said, oh, I forgot, all the stores were closed. Like, did they not get to the store before they closed for the holiday? Imagine you went to a wedding, and you watched the vows and the ceremony and the whole deal, and then there was pictures, and then you went to the reception, and people started doing speeches, and you felt really good because you were nice and kind and polite and listened to all the speeches about people you don't know. But imagine it came and went, and nobody, nobody served any food. The dinner didn't come out. The people would start to go, what? Like, we would get irritated. We would get, again, I'm hungry. I'm not feeling so happy. But you would probably start to think, something is wrong with this party. And even if you were really, really polite, you would walk away, and you probably, whoever you went with, you would go, was it not weird that they didn't serve dinner at dinner time? Was it not weird that we got no food? Like, imagine what would be missing if there was no food. Now, today, I want you to imagine that what if we live out a spiritual life and a religious existence that is void of food, that is void of real good sustenance? What if we went through the motions? What if we did all the things that we normally do in terms of church and, and what it's supposed to look like to be followers? of Jesus. But what if we were walking around feeling a little bit like we would feel if we went to a party and we weren't served food? Like I'm still hungry. I feel like I'm missing out on something. There's times where I feel really weak. There's times where I feel like I need something that will strengthen me for whatever it is that we're supposed to do it, be doing. 
that there's something lacking in the celebration or the joyful experience of what we're coming for. And then just wonder if that sometimes happens with us as Jesus followers in church and in our spiritual lives as we walk around. Would we ever dare to throw a really great party without food? Would we ever dare to live out or try to live out a spiritual life without the sustenance that God wants to have for us? So today I want to uh, turn our attention to John chapter 6. This is part of... um, Jesus' ministry that we read about, uh, where Jesus performs a number of signs, and we'll talk about that in a second, and then follows it up with some teaching that I think is, is just so foundational for what it means to follow Jesus. And today, I want us to hear the invitation that Jesus gives when he says, I am the bread of life. Come and eat. So John 6, uh, verse 22 says, the next day, the crowd had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? So here's a little bit of background of what's going on. Earlier in this chapter, we read that it was the time of Passover. Jesus shows up very often at the time of uh, the religious festivals, the celebrations for his people, the Jewish people. So it was the time of Passover, which was a time where the Jewish people were always reminded, they made this moment in history famous, that they were slaves in Egypt. God miraculously brought them out into the desert. When they got into the desert, they realized they got hangry We don't have any food. How are we going to survive walking through the desert? And one of the ways that God sustained them was that every morning they would go out and find this bread called manna, and they would be able to eat it, and they would be able to have strength for the journey that was ahead of them. So the Jews are at this time where they're celebrating Passover, celebrating the time where God rescued them and redeemed them and called them to be his people and then sustained them in the desert. We read the story, if you read back in that chapter, that Jesus was out teaching and there's thousands of people who are listening to him teach and all of a sudden they realize, we have no food. We have no bread. And the disciples, Jesus, they come to Jesus, how how are we going to feed these people? We don't have enough money. We don't know where to go. It would take us forever to walk somewhere and get the food that we need. And then a boy shows up with two fish and five loaves of bread and Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Just distribute it. That's your job, distribute it. And you could see them, well, you got to be kidding me. There's not enough food. This is like lunch for a handful of people. And we've got thousands of people. And Jesus blesses it and says, go distribute, give it out. And it says, everybody, thousands of people had everything that they needed to eat. And there was leftovers. It was a great meal. It was a good celebration. Bread for all, fish for all. Now people, you understand, they're following Jesus. So Jesus kind of escapes, the disciples go, everybody's looking for him, he gets across the lake, nobody really understands how he got across the lake. By the way, in the Gospels, when we read about people going back and forth over the lake, uh, there's probably just that literal, okay, they went across to another place. But there's a, a reading underneath that that we often see when people cross over into the lake, they're crossing over and they're thinking, there's something that is happening and changing how they are thinking about life or God, and we see that here. So they They've come and they followed Jesus and they're trying to figure out how did you get here? How did this work? Jesus replies, verse 26, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. He says, 
let's just be honest about something. The reason that you're following me right now is because of the food. I fed you, and it was a miracle. He calls it a miraculous sign. Here's the beautiful thing about signs, and Jesus is going to have to explain them uh, to these people. Signs, there are no signs that exist just for themselves. Signs inevitably point to something greater than themselves. They point to a reality. They give a direction. Go this way. They name a place. They give instructions. You don't just kind of go up to a sign and go, oh, wow, really cool sign. That's it. You go, well, what is this sign telling me? Where is it pointing me towards? What's the purpose of this sign being here? Even some of the most iconic signs, you would say, well, what about the Hollywood sign? People go to see just the Hollywood sign, sort of, but it's only there because Hollywood is there. It's only there to say, hey, you've, you've made it. This is Hollywood. If you were looking for it, Hollywood is here, even though it's a cool sign. Or it's kind of an ordinary sign, but for whatever reason, it's a famous sign. Jesus said, you haven't really understood the sign yet. He's going to drive them deeper to get into what the sign is all about. But it wasn't actually about the food that you just ate and then it was gone, the perishable stuff. I'm trying to teach you about something that is eternal, something that is much deeper than that. If you think the food that you ate physically is good, and I'm sure it was, and is important and is necessary, which it certainly is and was, I want to point you towards something even greater. So they reply, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? They don't quite understand this yet. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Now, I think there is an element here of spiritual junk food that people don't totally get. So it's not just that we want to eat food. We want to eat good food. That Sometimes there's food that looks good, tastes good. It's a little bit flashy, but it's not the best thing for us. It's not the most nourishing thing. It's not the thing that's going to give us the most energy. It's not the thing that's going to be the most healthy for us. I think one of the the aspects of spiritual junk food that we see here is this performance-based religion. We want to do what you did. We just want to do the works of God. Maybe they want to be able to do miracles. Well, what do we do? Let's start there. And Jesus pushes them to go deeper. Okay, you're not quite where I want you to be yet. So he's going to drive them deeper. He says, this is actually the works. This is where it all starts. This is what really matters. This is actually, we're going to learn how you're going to eat that spiritual food that you really are desiring. He says, believe in the one who he has sent. Speaking of himself, when we go through this passage, and actually a lot of the New Testament passages, I would argue when you read believe, a slightly better way, it's not wrong, but a slightly better way to translate the word here is trust. So not just believe, like, oh, I I mentally assent to, there's Jesus, and I believe that he's here, but to trust him. And this is what Jesus is going to say all the way through this. Here, if you really want to know what God is up to and how to get on board, trust the one he has sent. Live in that trust. I think he's probably alluding a little bit to, like we talked about, the Israel ancestors who went through the desert and every morning had to wake up and trust that God was going to give them manna, that they would have food. They struggled with that all the time. Where are we going to get food? They would grumble. They would complain. They would get upset. We don't know what's coming next. We don't know how we're going to be provided for. Why do we sing these songs? Why did Jesus bring this up? Why do people read the scriptures over and over? Because remember, there were people who were in that spot before. We need to make those moments famous where God provided for them so that when you feel like you're hungry and don't have enough, perhaps you'll remember and go, oh, there's others who have gone before. We have to make that moment famous because what God did for them, God can and will do for us. So Jesus, in replace, well, what can we do? What can we do? Jesus says, trust. Verse 30, they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Oh, okay, they're not there yet. 
What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, so they're still on this wavelength. They're not quite getting it. They're still on the physical, on a superficial level. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the bread from heaven. True bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they're still on this, this spiritual junk food. Give us something flashy. We want a miraculous sign. And Jesus has got to be thinking, I gave you a miraculous sign, but signs don't exist for themselves. It's pointing to a greater reality. And then he says, listen, you guys know the story. You've made it famous when the people were fed. But it wasn't Moses giving them food. It was my father. He loves to call God his father, this intimate relationship where God provides and he, he provides like a father. So God, Jesus says, this isn't flashy, but we're, we're, we got to get to a deeper level. It's not about the kind of wow us, do something flashy, do something superficial. It's not about the spiritual junk food. It's about really being fed. And Jesus now is going to align himself It's going to be important to understand the rest of the passage with what God is doing, with the fact that God is a provider and that God is faithful. So he says, they say, sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Okay, well then give us that. If there's something deeper, give it to us. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me or trusted in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but I should raise them up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all those who see his Son and believe in him or trust in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up on that last day. Just want you to underline or mentally underline, focus on this phrase, that I should not lose even one. Jesus, this is important, is now saying, I am the bread of life. Aligning himself with the will of God the Father. God wants to give you eternal life. He wants to give you everything that you need for life. I am the bread. I am what he has given you to give you the strength, to give you the encouragement, to give you everything that you need, the health that you need to live the eternal life, God. And my job, Jesus says, is I don't want to lose even one that my Father has given to me. Now, there are people who say, and we're going to come to the next passage, who see this as sort of like a, um, a thing about uh, predestination, um, that God just chooses some people sort of against their will uh, to be the chosen people, and, and that's kind of how it is, and uh, Jesus has come just to protect those people. What we know from this passage is that can't be what this passage is talking about, because there's too many invitations that Jesus is putting out there for all of you, come trust me, come follow me, you can have eternal life. So it can't be that, that God has just said, well, I've chosen a bunch of people and Jesus is saying, I'll protect this small group of people and, and we'll forget about everybody else. It can't be it. And that's illuminated in the next part of the passage. It says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? Isn't Jesus pretty ordinary? Don't we know his family? Don't we know where he came from? I mean, he came from heaven. A third time, sorry, skip down. Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. 
And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who is sent from God have seen him. So now Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And some people go, oh, this sounds like, you know, God, you just, we have no choice. We have no responsibility. God just chooses some people and doesn't choose people. He draws some people and doesn't draw other people. Uh, But many scholars note that's not what Jesus is saying here. It's not what the text actually means. It's not the kind of drawing that we're talking about. It's not coercive. It's not God just decides and skips over uh, everybody's choice in the matter. It's actually more like a, a drawing when you're drawn to someone you're attracted to or when you're falling in love with someone. When you see somebody and you acknowledge how beautiful they are, or how smart they are, or how deep in character they are, and something inside of you says, I want to be with them. I want to experience being in a relationship with them. There's something where you would say, and maybe it's a little bit metaphoric language, but you said, they're irresistible. I got to know them better. That's the kind of language that's happening here. It's the language of attraction. That when there are people who are drawn to God because God is so beautiful and God is so faithful and God is so good. And when people start to go, oh, I need God in my life. I want that kind of God in my life. Jesus said, it's my job to make sure that we don't lose any of those people. Jesus is aligning himself with the will of God to give people eternal life. And he says, I want to embody, be the embodiment of that kind of beautiful, wonderful, good and faithful God. So that when people see me, they see God. That is the the theology of the New Testament. If you want to get a good look of what God is like, how do we know what God would be like in character? How would we see his beauty? How would we see his glory? How would we see what he thinks power is like? You look at Jesus, the one who would give his life for the people that he loves. The one who would offer eternal life and say, I'd be willing to go to the cross to give it to you. Jesus said, I don't want to lose any any who are being drawn to a beautiful, loving, gracious, forgiving beautiful God. I just want to show them what that looks like. I'm the bread of heaven. I want to offer myself to people so that they can eat and be satisfied and live with that kind of God. There's this other phrase in here that's a quotation or at least a paraphrase. Jesus says, they will all be taught by God. And that is actually a paraphrase of Isaiah Uh, Isaiah chapter 54, 13. And it's a passage where um, the Israelites, they had been in bondage. They had been exiled. So they'd been taken over by an army, taken out of their land, um, had to live apart from all of their customs and their people. Uh, And then finally they were brought back and God had rescued them and redeemed them. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 54, it talks about that and says uh, from the prophet, he says, all your children will be taught by the Lord. That's where Jesus is paraphrasing. And great will be your children's peace. He's talking to a generation who had been exiled, who had been in pain, who had been in their mind and experience far from God, felt like God's presence is with us. But now they had been ushered back into their land and into the presence of God and into prosperity. And he's saying, now God is going to teach your children the way to live in peace. And they're going to experience what you always wanted for yourself and for your children and your grandchildren and ongoing. God is going to show them how faithful he is, how beautiful he is, how strong he is. And he's bringing them back. He is their rescuer. And the prophets, all through the prophets, have this same kind of theme. 
They're looking forward to this time where God would take that kind of love and faithfulness and it wouldn't just be something that they read. It wouldn't be just something that's external to them, but it'd be something that would invade their hearts and their minds that they would be taught about how good and loving God is such that it would go deep inside of them and transform them from the inside out. Jeremiah said, God will put his law on the minds of his people and write it on their hearts. Ezekiel said, God promises people a new heart and a new spirit. Joel said, God will pour out his spirit on all people and that they will then prophesy. What does all this mean? Jesus is saying that your children, you know, he's quoting this, your children, they'll be taught by God. They'll have God's goodness implanted in them. And if they listen to the Father, they will learn. They will learn something new, an insight, a teaching, an illumination that's compelling, that's beautiful that's awe-inspiring, that takes their breath away, that they would see that God is their rescuer, that God restores them, that God is faithful, and that God never, ever leaves his people, even when it looks like it. We need to make those moments famous. And Jesus is declaring in himself, the time has come when all these prophets had talked about that people would catch a glimpse and be drawn in by the beauty of that kind of God. And then now, in a whole fresh way, God wanted to live inside of them and transform them from the inside out that they might experience eternal life. John 17, 3 says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. What is it to really know or to have eternal life? It's to know God. To know here means to perceive, to learn, to experience, to have intimate relationship, to have an experience of God within you, giving you everything that you need. And Jesus here is saying this, that eternal life is to really know God and Jesus Christ, the one that the Father has sent to earth. So to know God is also to know Jesus. And to know Jesus, I believe, is to know love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, justice, Rest, peace, and joy. And all of this, we need to celebrate. We need to make famous. The next thing that Jesus said was, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes or trusts has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. You think about the manna that your ancestors ate, that they needed to be strengthened for all that they were going to be up against, all their problems, all their challenges, all their obstacles. You think of those who were out and they were hungry when Jesus could have said, I was just teaching and we ran out of food and nobody had it. And then this miraculous sign where everybody was fed and they were satisfied and they have everything they need. And then he says to them, I am the bread of life. And and what All the prophets had said that all the stuff about God was not just going to be an external thing that that you could know, but an internal thing that would transform you, an experiential knowledge of the beauty of God that Jesus didn't want anybody to lose sight of. And he says, well, how now do you appropriate that? How do you eat it? How do you experience it? He says, I am the bread of life. He doesn't say I'm a philosophy. I'm a list of beliefs. He doesn't say I'm an ideology. I love that he uses the metaphor of food. I am the bread of life. What does it mean? You need to chew. You need to swallow. You need to digest so I become part of you. And in that, you are strengthened and healthy for everything that you need to do in life. And that is eternal life. That is what the prophets were longing to see, God's presence within us. So how do we appropriate what Jesus was offering, the bread of life? We trust. 
every day. We trust that God is with us the way that he was with our ancestors, that he is loving the way that he has told us that he is loving, so much so that he's willing to sacrifice himself. Think of this. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? The one we've made famous, the one that's a celebrity verse, John 3.16. Why is it so famous? should be famous. We have to appropriate this over and over. It's our spiritual food. It's Jesus within us. Is this how you see God and experience God? For God so loved the world. Is that what you trust that God is in your life? Is that what you trust that God is in the life of those around you? People that you live near, your neighbors, your friends, even those who are not like you, that God so loved you and me and them, the entire world, that he gave his one and only son, that he was willing to sacrifice himself, not just to tell us what to do, but to give himself to us. That whoever believes, whoever really trusts, that if you could wake up and say, uh, no matter what's happening in my life, I trust, I trust that God is with me and that God loves me and that God loves the world around me. That in him, that, that no one should perish, but really have eternal life that would know eternal life to be able to live it and experience it. That's what we need to make famous. This is what we need to celebrate And each and every day, what kind of celebration will we have if we're not eating? There's no food. And so we eat the bread of life. By trust, we appropriate. We listen to Jesus' teaching and we chew on it. We listen to what the scriptures say about how God loves us. And in the moments where we feel unlovable, we chew on it. And when we see others that we don't feel like loving and we read how Jesus loved his enemy, we chew on it. And we swallow it. We digest it. We let it become part of us. And as we trust, we let that life become part of our body and strengthen us. So today, uh, as we close, uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, uh, communion. Uh, In the chair in front of you, uh, you can find one of these. Uh, These are our elements, the the bread... um, and the, the juice, the wine, this is uh, representative of the body of Christ that's given for us and the blood uh, of Jesus, of the covenant, uh, to confirm the covenant of God of forgiveness. And here's, here's what I want to offer you today is that we feast. We eat, we chew on the bread of life, Jesus, his presence, his love, his sacrifice. And as we physically chew, And as this little piece of bread, we swallow it, we'll digest it, it'll become part of us. To make that a celebration, a reminder, to make the moment famous that God sent his son in love to die for us so that we have everything that we need. If this is unfamiliar to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you don't need to to participate in this. We're happy that you're here. Encourage you to listen in and think about this. We don't want to push you into something you're not comfortable with, and so feel free uh, just to kind of pass this by. Um, But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I'd encourage you to take this. And uh, one of the things in many Christian traditions, uh, when they give the bread in communion or the Lord's table, uh, someone will say to you, um, this is the the body of Christ. Uh, And then they'll say something like, um, strength for the journey. Like the Israelites who wandered in the desert and had all kinds of challenges. Think about your challenges. Think about when you get tired 
and discouraged, when you think that you're alone, when you think that everything rests on your shoulders, that you've got to do it all and make it all happen, you get to eat this bread and be reminded that you can trust God for everything. And you say, how, how do I know I could try? How do I know he's going to come through? Because he sent his one and only son to die for you. So Heavenly Father, as we hold uh, this bread in our hands, we want to thank you for the bread of life, Jesus, who came to put on display just how beautiful and wonderful you are to give us strength for the journey. Today, I want to pray for anybody who's come today who just feels tired, who feels discouraged, who feels like they're at the end of their rope. Maybe those who have been trying so hard to make sure life is the way that it ought to be. Today, as we eat, we pray that your faithfulness would become part of us and would strengthen us in Jesus' name. Thank you for the body that was given to us. And so just as Jesus said, he said, take, this is my body and eat. Let's eat together. And Jesus at the Last Supper, um, when he was sitting with his disciples, his most close disciples, uh, he took wine. Um, and again, they were celebrating the Passover. And uh, they would have wine there to celebrate. And one of the great reminders was when their people were uh, in bondage, um, that they would take blood of a lamb and they'd put it across their, their signpost of their house. And that would be how God would know to pass over and that they were his people and that they would wander into freedom. That, that God would remind them of the lifeblood that is so important. And in Jesus, we see that God is willing to give his life, the blood streaming through his veins to give us ours. And in the moments where we feel unworthy of that, we take the cup and we are reminded that his blood is the blood of forgiveness to confirm the covenant. That means to confirm how faithful God is to us, that he will never ever leave us. He is a God who is gracious and merciful, a God who is forgiving and who welcomes us back. So our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that was spilled for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you that you restore us and you rescue us. Thank you for the history uh, of the saints that put on display that you are a God who takes us from wherever we are and welcomes us back into your fold, into your family, and that we can call you Father. We thank you that you are willing, we're willing to send your son, that you love us so much that it would be your sacrifice that would make us right with you. So we thank you for the blood that now courses through our veins that gives us life, eternal life in Christ. Amen. So Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood that confirms the covenant. Drink it. So now, God, we, uh, we celebrate. We want to make this moment famous. The moment where we're reminded of your faithfulness and that you're always working. The moment of the strength that you give to us in the, the body of Christ that he stepped in to show us just how beautiful you are. We make famous the cross of Jesus that shows us that sacrificial love where you would die for us in love. Where instead of fighting the way the world, the world does, you would bring true transformation in love. I pray that today, God, as we have eaten and we have drank, that these truths and the truth of Jesus would become part of who we are and strengthen us for all things, that we would know eternal life in knowing you and knowing him.